Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the In the Game Podcast. This is Matt Chatham. Happy as always to be joined by Brady Pinga out there in California. We're doing a morning show, slugging coffee here. How are you doing out there at sunny SoCal, Brady? How are you? Well, it's yet to uh, be sunny, but eventually it will be sunny. <laughs> so uh, it's good, man. Yeah, that's right. I forget this. Uh, we're, we're pre-sun there. <laughs> the sun is on its way yeah, soon. Yeah, they gave it to get to kick it and eventually will. So we're good, though. We're all good. good. Enough. Well, we are going to do a weird show this week. I don't know, weird in that it's a little off the sort of the beaten path for what we generally do. We're still going to get to the games at the end of this conversation. Uh, but I, I know you do Fox Radio out there in L.A., and you get to talk storylines all the time. I generally don't. I'm stuck more on just the games. So I thought maybe this would be fun to, uh, to dive into this part of it uh, because it has been such a weird week in the NFL. Uh, for me personally, I- I'm sitting up in the box last week uh, watching the Bills-Patriots games. The Bills really kicked the kicked the Patriots' butt. It was very sloppy, very bad football. Uh, but as I was preparing for my Monday morning column, my sort of what am I going to talk about, you know, to put up for our videos on footballbyfootball.com, I was blown away by how bad the officiating was. And, you know, I, I think even mention that it becomes trite. It becomes sort of cliched. It's like, yeah, wah, wah, wah. Everyone always complains about officiating. But I did feel like I was in the middle of something that was beyond the pale, a little, little more un- unusual, you know, that it was just so over the top. Um, the, and this is sort of sidebar before I dive into your part of it, but the, the, the Gillette, Gillette Stadium uh, scoreboard operator, uses uh, colors throughout sort of the, the rims of the stadium to show flags. So every time a flag is thrown, and it was uh, Pete Morelli's crew. Pete is uh, a special fellow who really loves to throw laundry uh, at an alarming rate in the NFL. <laughs> but what was really crazy, and if you were in that stadium, it was one of the weirder experiences I've had for you know 15 years of being around that place. Uh, the place lights up yellow. So they made this change where the, the light rim around sort of the middle bowl goes yellow whenever a flag is thrown. They light up the the uh, the lighthouse also goes yellow, and then the words Gillette Stadium over the top of the stadium goes yellow. And I swear to God, if you'd have had, <laughs> you know, seizures, if for some reason that was a trigger for you because of how much the stadium was lit up yellow <laughs> on this weekend, it was very nearly every other play. It was insane, dude. And we can dive more into the details of how ugly it was. But uh, I just first wanted to kick it out to you. I know we've, we've dealt with this in, in past shows, past years, where we just talk about emphasis points. And the NFL is going to talk about this and talk about that. And they're going to throw more flag, flags on that. So just so you know. Uh, this year, the emphasis point is this unsportsmanlike stuff, and it's driving a lot of the calls. Uh, comfortable with that? You like that? You don't like it? Uh, just sort of what's your knee-jerk reaction before we sort of dive into the particulars? No, I like it because the whole old Dale Beck and Josh Stormer thing last year, when they, they went off to against each other, it was out of control. And so there had to be something to done to at least avoid that situation moving forward, which the best thing is is that if you have too many of those particular kind of calls, which are the personal foul variety calls, that you could actually get disqualified from the game, get kicked out or whatever they say, which, you know, I think motivates these guys to check themselves a little bit more, at least after they got their first one. So I like that, uh, how they're interpreting what's unsportsmanlike and what's not, all that kind of stuff. You know how it is when the NFL starts to emphasize stuff. Things become pretty ambiguous. You don't know what the heck they're looking for. You don't know what's unsportsmanlike, what is. And so it becomes pretty dramatic for us. 
but for the players, it's frustrating because things that used to be good that nobody ever had any issue with all of a sudden become problems. Yeah, and I think that's 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 sort of the nail on the head issue here. It's like, hey, no one no one had an issue with that, and now everyone's left wondering what is and isn't legal. So I, there's really sort of two sides of the argument: uh, whether or not you have sort of adequate uh, notice, understanding of whatever would be illegal. That's a, and that's you know one one side of a discussion that, that we we can have. But the other side to me is is. Should it be, you know, like you bring up a great point. And I know that's the example the NFL is using the Odell Beckham thing. Like that was so insane and over the top. And how could they not curb that in game? How could they let it go to such an extreme example and never, you know, never stop it, you know, with all these other things, drawing fines and, 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 you know, stoppages of play and flags and stuff. And then that one got to that level. But it, to me, I read it as, wow, the NFL exaggerated again, or they, they overreacted again. They, they're going to now over-legislate something that nobody wanted. Like, people didn't want that, but that is different than, you know, <laughs> emulating, pantomiming a bow and arrow or tossing the ball to the official, yeah. uh, which Terrell Pryor did a week ago. Terrell Pryor. Or doing with dancing, you know. Dancing, just all this stuff. But, I mean, the point is, for my side anyway, is – this isn't being asked for. It's not like, you know, people were in the street saying, hey, this has to stop, NFL. Get your act together. It's like literally no one but these old men on Park Avenue want that done. Like maybe at one of these owners' clubs' bridge games or something, there's some old woman in his ear saying, hey, don't let that man gyrate his hips. But you can turn on the Disney Channel and find that. Uh, I know my kids <laughs> dance in ways that are probably worse than Antonio Brown. Uh, so I don't know. I just To me, it seems like it, it it's coming from nowhere. And, uh, you know, it, it affects the, the quality of the product. It affects other things. We'll get to that later. But it affects the viewership. How do you do you feel as a viewer now, an analyst like I am, do you notice a difference if you sat down and watch uh, to analyze a football game today, whether or not, rather, you know, rather than when you were doing it maybe 10 years ago? Well, yeah, I think, you know, with the whole unsportsmanlike thing, though, I do believe Josh Norman and Odell Beckham are being singled out, though. Because if it was anybody else who did that bow and arrow, I don't think the the flag would have come out. But because it was Josh Norman, they're looking for some way to almost get these guys. Because if you look back at last year and that whole deal with him and Josh Norman and Odell Beckham, it was yeah. a black eye to all the rest. And I have to imagine those guys have some conferences. They get together. They go over their you know season. They look at some things they'd like to improve. And they probably looked at like, that's embarrassing that we let that happen. We are going after these guys. And for people to think that that kind of humanity doesn't seep into their decision-making is delusional beyond imagination because it does. And it did in that sense. I mean, I don't know if you ever heard of Brett Keithley. He played uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers a number of years, won a couple Super Bowls. He grew up with me in Wyoming. I played against Brad a lot. Yeah, he's a good player. Yeah, Yeah, but uh, he's a Wyoming guy. We do a lot of hunting there. Every time that guy sacked the quarterback, you know what he did? Or made a big play, as a matter of fact. He would get on one knee, he would pull an arrow out of his back, whatever they call that thing. The, the quiver, thing. right? Isn't that what it is? <laughs> the quiver, there it is, yeah. And he would shoot it up in the air. And not one time, not one I mean, this was even as, as far, I mean, as, as uh, recent as like a couple years ago. You know, maybe even a year. I think it was a couple years ago was the last time he played. And there was never any situation to where a rep would say, oh, man, you're on the border there of doing something that uh, <laughs> could get you in trouble. And, oh, by the way, I'm a Wyoming guy, and what do they call the state of Wyoming? Yeah, the Cowboy State. If you go look at one of my most – or the latest celebrations I did, which was the uh, sack on Don McNabb. It's out on the Internet. It was a big-time play in the uh, overtime. I get up, and guess what I do? I do the six-shooter 
Oh, I'm no. doing a six shooter somewhere. You're promoting violence. You're promoting exactly. violence, Brady. Stop it. it. I wasn't pulling him out of the holster or putting it back in the holster. So maybe it threw the rest off. But like, wait, how does how does this guy have six shooters without having holsters? But I would say this: that I was doing the six shooters, and so all of a sudden, this kind of stuff was violent. I mean, I. It, again, if it was anybody else doing it other than Josh Norman, I don't think it's even being talked about. But because it was him, they had a – I mean, the best is the call, though, Matt. Can you believe they called the personal foul on Josh Norman for thinking like he's shooting an arrow? Right. No, no, no. Actually, Brady, they, they didn't actually say the faking part. That was what was most ridiculous. Jeff Triplett stands up there and says, for shooting a bow and arrow. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Everyone in the stands. Josh Norman did not just shoot a bow and arrow. There is no crossbow <laughs> on the playing field. Like it just the, the idea that they don't understand they become a parody of themselves. It's just who is controlling our game. It drives me nuts. So you you mentioned Brett Kiesel. You mentioned Brett, Brett Kiesel. That's a great example. I'm really glad you brought that one forth. I wasn't I wasn't aware of it. But beyond Brett Kiesel, this is this has become passe. This is normal. This happens all over the place. Brandon Cooks, that's his thing. Every time he gets a first down, he pulls out of the quiver, shoots it. He's been doing that for quite a while. <laughs> Eric Berry, this is this is awesome. I retweeted this last night uh, from the NFL's yeah. account. When the NFL, the NFL's Twitter account, the at NFL.com or at NFL or whatever, uh, tweeted out a monster tweet. It was a big emotional moment when Eric Berry got his first interception after he returned from cancer treatment. Eric Berry wow. got that interception, went to the sideline, threw the ball up, and shot it with a ba 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 pantomime bow and arrow. And it was on their account. They retweeted it. It was their thing. And you know what? Children everywhere were harmed by that. So thank God Roger saved us. <laughs> Josh Norman did the same thing. We saw it completely harmless. Uh, the other one that, was, that just I mean, I blew could, my mind. Matt, let is, me say this, though, Matt. Let me say it. this, though. I could see it. if he was, like, actually, like, shooting it at the player. You that would be I mean? taunting. Could, no, like, great point. Yeah, I thought I thought that's where it was, you know. But the best, though, I don't know if you heard the call. Kevin Harlan was on the call there. Well, <laughs> that's man, I did, I did. He's like, shooting a bow and his voice. <laughs> and, so and, and Rich Gannon, too. Rich says, I didn't know you couldn't shoot a bow <laughs> <laughs> Nobody did because it's stupid. It's stupid. That's why. I mean, it's it's stupid. It's I think that's the, the, so this this to me takes the cake out of all of these. Now you've mentioned Kiesel, we mentioned Cooks, we mentioned Josh Norman, Eric Berry, and you make a great point that say, hey, this the whole reason they don't want to do this is taunting, right? There are two excuses that we don't want anything that's taunting. Uh, engender ill will is, is actually in the new language. Any any action directed a player that will engender ill will. I think this was oh, this wow. written by NPR is doing the doing sort of the play, the the rule book for the NFL now. Uh, but the Eric Berry thing we touched on that. This is the best. Travis Kelsey. This is also his same thing. Travis Kelsey has been doing this after big plays for a while now. The best part is after they had announced the uh, the the thing with Norman Sunday Night Football was the Chiefs and the Sunday yeah. Night Football promo has Travis Kelsey making a big play, and then shooting his bow and arrow. <laughs> it's too perfect. It's too perfect. It's unbelievable. Okay, so the biggest problem I have with all this, it's fun to just make fun of the NFL for being for being dumb, but the, the reason this matters to me is not just as an opportunity to, to poke fun, but because it affects the outcomes of games. If you go back to, I mean, fortunately, it's not who won or lost in any of these cases, but 
if you go back to the Redskins games at the time of the, the time of that interception, there was it were late in the fourth quarter here, and it was val- valuable uh, field position that they needed. They get kicked back out fifteen yards, and fortunately there that did not end up costing Washington. The one that did was a week before, and we'll talk about this a little bit. The Terrell Pryor play. Terrell Pryor, who's been playing out of his mind for a bad Cleveland team, gets a shot play down the field, real nice catch, going out of bounds. Um, this was a week the week before. Uh, Terrell makes the nice catch, goes out of bounds. The defensive back is sort of to the side of him. And then the official is sort of on the other side of him, just a little bit. Terrell tosses the ball to the official. The The player is kind of near, but not really. But you know how that is. Like, if you really wanted to throw a ball in a guy's face, and that's what, you know, that, that should draw a penalty, you, you'd point right at them or, you know, toss it in their mug or, you know, throw it in their chest or waist or whatever. He does it. He's trying to throw to the official who's on the other side and you know, kind of sort of near the player, but not really. But the, that official does not throw a flag. Some dude running, chasing, following the play, one of the back judges or whatever, is is chasing the play and throws his flag. This is inside inside two minutes, inside a minute, whatever. This is the final drive of the game, and Terrell has caught this pass way down deep, and it kicks him back out of field position. And then, the you know, the, it ends up costing them points, and the game ends that way. So that that is where I have a super issue with this. It's not because not that, hey, you know, if everyone had, if everyone had knowledge of this and just knew not to do it, then, you know, you know you'd be fine. But that's not the issue to me. The issue is... It's sort of uh, the emperor has no clothes now. Like you can see what their real motive, what they care most about. To me, it would be one thing, and we could, you and I could joke about this and bitch about this, and say, hey, you know, I really wish they wouldn't take money for players for the taunting stuff. If that was the way they wanted to sort of guide uh, behavior, they're willing to sandbag results, and that 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 bothers me. That they're more concerned about getting sort of Stepford jocks on the field, guys that fall in line, uh, respect their authority, you know, that kind of stuff where they're okay with, with throwing a flag and changing sort of the, the, what's going on in the game because of something that happened outside of the game. To me, that says priority number one is do what I say. Priority two is sort of the purity of these, these sporting contests. That drives me nuts. Uh, so I'm going to send it to you. What What's the solution? I mean, we can complain here all day long. How do we fix this? Because I think invariably this comes from the feet of the competition committee, which is made up of ownership people and, and, and former coaches, and even I think some former players are involved in that. Uh, what do we do now? I mean, what's the, what's the solution to the nonsense? Oh, man, it's, it's asking to do the very thing that you, know, you, you struggled with doing which is just being logical i mean you just gotta look at it and be and ask yourself like what is this doing and that's exactly what you're basically what you're saying you know when you're you're seeing josh Norman shoot the bow and arrow well look is he shooting the bow and arrow at somebody in particular you know is terrell Pryor when he's like <laughs> he's trying to throw the ball back to the ref and it slips out of his hand you know is he like have malicious intent and, and i mean the problem is is and we see this all the time in the NFL, when they make an emphasis on anything, it's like they don't do it just a little bit. It's like they go overboard, beyond logic, beyond reasonable, you know, kind of just way of seeing something. And that's where they're at right now. So just be logical, you know, and it's hard to, like, measure that, equate that. But it's nice to have these moments because if they were really wanting to do this at the highest level, sit down, go over these and say, look, guys, this is what it should look like, okay, when we want an unsportsmanlike. And then look at these here that were called, 
this is not what we're looking for. And, and we, right. we hope they're that honest, which I do believe they are. Unfortunately, they're not as transparent to be able to tell us, say, hey, yeah, we had a conference, and, yeah, we had a number of these unfortunate conduct penalties. You know what? They weren't even – they weren't right. They don't tell us that, you know. So that's why we're always right. still a little suspicious as to what their intentions are and what they're doing. And I'm not saying they're trying to throw games or do anything, but, but they're being old school. And you look at all these refs. I mean, these guys are all older guys. You know what I mean? These are the kind of guys that yeah. – you know, you say a joke to, you know, half the jokes of the millennials would offend these guys beyond belief, you know, or these right. guys want to joke around about Vietnam War, you know, guys in today's era joke around different things, so it's a different context, and and so you have to uh, take all that into consideration, and uh, it's it's a lot of moving parts, but uh, I don't even know if it gets fixed. It's just one of those things that if you're going to have a bunch of dudes that are humans, that are older guys, that are officiating games, you're going to run into these kind of issues. Yeah, the the thing that pops into my head is is game ownership, and this always this always drives me nuts because I've used this example on way way past shows where golf has their their sort of uh, oh, I don't even know what they call it the uh, their sort of set set rules. It's like almost like the you know the Ten Commandments, you know, like the tabernacle kind of things on st- yeah. you know stone written whatever. This is what the game is, and we'll all just abide by it. And it exists outside the organizations of the USGA and things like that. Football doesn't have that. It's not like football is a sort of standalone uh, entity that that college football plays, that the NFL plays. Instead, football is in this case whatever this business says it is. It's not you know there's not. Uh, there's not some sort of set standard or entity that, that defines football and then they play it. And I, and that drives me nuts because, you know, th- football is not what these old dudes are doing. Like football is what you and I and a group of friends would go play in the park, you know, or, or out tailgating in the parking lot at one of these monster games where people are spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to be there. That's football. Like football to me is, is, is much more of a pure thing. It's, it's not just whatever these guys turn into sort of their abomination version of it. And that kind of drives me nuts because you look at, you look at because the NFL has become so incredibly powerful and so widespread and everywhere, it, it spills down to other levels. And I think, you know, if I've got kids, uh, I was actually, I was doing flag football with my son last night at his little league. And just the idea that they, the middle school will take, you know, heed from this. The, the high schools are going to do it. Colleges, because it's sort of like this downhill flow of their of their you know, waste, I guess, of what they believe football is, and it's sort of a curmudgeon kind of thing. But I'm trying to tell my kid, hey, have fun, be respectful. You know, you can celebrate. Uh, and and they use the the language excessive here in the NFL's version of taunting. Like, yeah, I could understand if it it extends to ten seconds or fifteen seconds, or it actually delays the start of the game. But they're calling excessive celebrations it, things that are hitting at three seconds. Like, literally, the, the the dude doesn't. It's not like he runs to the other end of the field to do some sort of show. He's literally stopping in the moment where he's at, stands up, shakes his hips for three or four seconds. And that's considered excessive as a time time component. And to me, that's insane. And the reason it is is because you're telling the kids, hey, don't have fun. Like, don't celebrate. Everyone just, you know, be step for jocks. You know, just be straight arrows. That drives me nuts. So I think that's in part why it's bad. It's also in part why, hey, I really want to think that the people that are in control of this game care most about the integrity of the game, the game, the, the, the sport, not, not all this other nonsense. And it really shows me that they care more about their footnotes. They care more about this other nonsense than, than the real game. So we'll transition off the, the, the unsportsmanlike stuff. 
get into one other final sort of thing that was officiating related. And I think it kind of does tie into all this. Uh, it was the Duke, John- the Duke Johnson fumble running back for the Browns a week ago against the Redskins. Uh, and I-, I think, again, this is another one of the things that drives me nuts because it's it insults the intelligence of fans. It insults the intelligence of the guys out there playing the game and insults the intelligence of former players like us that are watching and saying, Hey man, just be honest. That's all we ever wanted from this game anyway. So Duke Johnson fumbles the ball, clears day, fumbles it, falls upon his own fumble within a second or two stands up, walks out of the pile. And, uh, the, the new, and I'm blanking that I, I bring this up and I don't have her name on the tip of my tongue right now, but the, the female official, the only one in the NFL, Sarah Thomas is her name, line judge. She's playing, she's the line judge in that particular game. She runs into the pile and points at Will Compton, uh, linebacker for the Redskins, and says Will's got the ball. Well, Will is faking. He's, he's sitting on his side in sort of a cradle position, mm-hmm. fighting for something that's not there, as Duke Johnson walks away out of the pile, holds it up over his hand, uh, over his head. So the, the NFL clearly blew it. Uh, and the explanation from Dean Blandino, head of, head of officiating, which he's just covering. I, I have a hard time getting too hard on Dean because he's stuck with a in my word, just a dog doo-doo rule book. Officials are just, <laughs> they're basically just charged with enforcing the nonsense. They're not the competition committee. They're, they, you know, and if they don't enforce it, they get in trouble. But he, he comes up with an incredibly lame explanation that, hey, you know, Sarah's just told to call it fast because of the safety issue. You know, we don't want the unsafe issue of people fighting for balls underneath pile. Like there's been some rash of major just injuries. to come up with that one? I mean, they probably sat in a conference room trying to figure out, how do we explain this <laughs> to everybody? Because what, I mean, what do you say? I mean, there's, that makes zero sense, you it's know, when sense. the emphasis, and we've talked about this off air where the emphasis has been on just whoever ends up with it. That's who we give it to, you know? So they had a really stretch to get after that. But I mean, another thing too is why in the world, after the fact, he's walking out with the ball. That they all huddle together, the officials, and say, oh, "Okay, we messed up," which they just generally do on most calls that they messed up. I mean, I've seen flags picked up. You right. know, why can't yeah. we get together and say, "Oh, well, 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 let's talk." About, okay, it's their ball. He and then the big, you know, the the headband, the the guy with the white hat pops on his microphone and says, "Hey, after we discussed it, so and so ended up with the football. He had clear possession. It remains with that team." I mean, that's the right thing to do. It seems like from the beginning, like, either A, nobody was paying attention, B, yep. uh, they tricked them. You know, they tricked everybody, which yep. is unbelievable. And so, I, I mean, <laughs> don't you think now, like, that's going to be something teams start to work on? Because they're going to say, yeah. hey, man, if you don't get the bill, just fake it. Fake and it, You yeah. never know. They may give it to us, and uh, you know, and I mean, so it would happen. So the point is, is that that's what they're saying now. Like, okay, you got to have safety as number one priority, so we're going to make the call as quick as possible. Well, if everybody's not going to fake it, and they start to have a number of different erroneous fumble recoveries that they call to certain teams, then it's got to go back to the old rule that used to be the emphasis and should be the emphasis is whoever ends up with it, regardless of what happens on the bottom of the pile, which goes against the very thing that they're saying right now. So it's, it's a slippery slope that uh, they're going to continue to have to do a lot of cya cover your acting. That's what it is. <laughs> for years to come with this one. But, uh, I mean, this one's a stretch beyond imagination to say that it was safety, you know, uh, that's the the focus behind it. it makes no sense makes no sense it's the unintended consequences you, you're trying to sort of save the life of an ant and kill a, a, an army of real people like it, I, it's just why why what it there okay, i'm not even aware of a, an actual real injury that's ever happened at the bottom of the pile so it just sounds like something that people from the outside might buy oh yeah it looks dangerous down there guys punching each other and grabbing <laughs> balls or something weird but gouging you know, eyes that, like that you know what? That's a- 
That's yeah. exactly right. I'm sure they have to think that way. They have to think, now, how would we be most understood? Oh, right. everybody, because, I mean, you probably have. I, I've been asked this, I don't know how many times, hey, man, what happens on the bottom of those piles, you know? And the only thing that's ever really happened to me is my nuts were grabbed back in high school. Right. That's it. You know what I mean? And then yeah. if everybody's looking at you like, good, you good? I mean, I I, I wouldn't, I, I don't know how many times I was on the bottom of the pile, hanging up like a pretzel, and after the ball had finally been settled, you you know, whoever had position had clear possession. You're looking at each other, yeah. even the guys on opposing teams. I remember looking at Stephen Hutchinson, big old pit bull for the Minnesota Vikings. Yep. He played yep. for the Seattle Seahawks, too. Probably a first ballot Hall of Famer when his time arrives. Uh, he he's looking at me and he's like, "You okay? You good?" And he was like, "You know, we weren't gouging each other's eyes out." But you're right; they had to have thought, "Okay, what would the public most widely accept?" Oh, they think right. it's crazy under the pile. They think it's a big, big meat grinder. So we'll go with the safety. <laughs> we'll I go mean, with what's believable. That's unbelievable. Yeah, we'll go with what's believable. <laughs> it's pretty unbelievable. Instead yeah. of just saying, "Hey, man, we made a mistake." I mean, you know how cool it would have been. This would have been just like maybe we would, it would have been almost too good to be true. And we'd have all looked at each other and fainted. But if they had just come out and said, hey, you know what? We blew it. Sorry, guys. Ugh. You know what? We They tricked us. And not enough officials had a good view of it. But you know what? That would have, I mean, to you and I, I and I even think with the public, it would have solved everything. Oh, and they were like, all right, you know what? Let's move on. You know? But now it's like a big joke. It's a, it's a thousand, it's a thousand percent what, what the problem is. The problem is in accountability. And that's what's so bad with this league. It's a league that gave the players a billion dollars and admits nothing, you know, uh, it was just from the goodness of our heart. (laughs) And this, this is like, (laughs) they've built a labyrinth uh, of, of text that they hide behind. It's just like the deflate gate stuff. Man, I don't want to go down that alley right now, but it's, it's very similar to where they say, Hey, this language backs us. And that's, that's what their explanation here says. They say that, uh, they're they're not allowed to go in and unless they have visual evidence in the replay that Washington did not possess it because that's what they called then they can't overturn it. So do you, do you understand? Like if basically what they said is because she screwed up and because Sarah pointed at the wrong person, they don't have in his back is to the camera in every view and you can't see the ball he's not holding that he's faking he's holding. This the text allows them to hide like cowards that says because there's no visual evidence that he doesn't have it, uh, and because we don't rule that someone running from the pile is necessarily the one who possessed it in the pile, we are covered. And all that says is you know Joe Public who's sitting at home, sitting on his couch, having a beer, watching the game with his buddies, or in the parking lot, whatever, uh, tailgating. He goes what? Doesn't make sense. <laughs> like what, what you just spent, you know, as, as I just did, um, of sixty seconds, ninety seconds, or whatever, spinning my tires, and all I need to say is, which dude had the ball? Not that guy. <laughs> it's literally that easy. So, I, I just, <laughs> the NFL does not get its fan base, does not get its game, and I think that's what what drives me the most nuts. I forgot to mention this on the front end. It goes into the taunting, but we'll, we'll sort of exit out of here about, on this all this official talk. But one of the ones that drives me nuts too is the Antonio Brown thing, where he had gotten the penalty for for taunting, you know, for doing sort of the twerking, which I kind of sort of yeah. get, you know, it's it's a little borderline it's too little, close. Uh, it's yeah. close, right? So they gave it There's to him. Windows once. there, yeah. So then, and again, I, I, the part I struggle with is my my four year old daughter that twerks, and where she see it, she sees it on the Disney Network. But uh, you know, so the thing that drives me nuts on that. So he comes back, he alters his dance, he just puts it over his head and kind of spins the ball over his head, and then gyrates his hips for I don't know 
a second and a half. It's like nothing. Two pumps, <laughs> whatever. And he gets a flag again. <laughs> and the reason the reason that drives me nuts is as you watch the game, then he's thrown a flag. They're willing to to gift the other team. Uh, field position which is huge in the game of football they're willing to alter the actual contest itself and then we go to commercial and the cheerleaders dance half nude and freaking gyrating in the hips so it's like we're not really we're not really you know sheltering children from seeing something where it's just this sort of persnickety uh, you know front office it just it makes no sense it's just i wish i wish our league was not so out of touch i wish i was a football former player analyst 10 years ago not having to deal with all the nonsense we now do. But, all right, so we complained enough, we whined enough. Uh, my big issue, the, I, to answer the question I threw at you, how I think we change it, and, and this is pie in the sky, this probably won't happen, but I'm going to be militant about it and see what I can get done. Roger Goodell has been hiding from me. He's been hiding from a number of other journalists I know. He, he will not accept interviews. He will not do phone interviews. He will not do televised interviews. He will not hold a press conference of any kind. He has been hiding like Puxatani Phil, the, uh, the groundhog. Okay. He's been gone for months and months and will not reappear to an open environment, most likely until the Super Bowl. So we've all got to congregate and rush in there and, you know, fight through the play 60 questions and the, hey, Mr. Mr. Goodell, um, what about a team in, in Australia? And like all the dumb questions and then finally get to ask him something real because you haven't got to press him with this. I think it's we're really in an important time now where – uh, they're blowing it on a lot of fronts that are affecting games. Uh, viewership is way down, and it is now for real. I, I, I was curious about that a week ago, two weeks ago, when you and I have been talking about it, but the streaming numbers are starting to come in, which is something you can actually track much easier than TV. TV, it's the Nielsen stuff, and it's an average, and how many are on per household, and how many, you know, I, the, I don't know the formula exactly, but it's not as reliable as a stream because a stream's a single URL, a single piece of code. Every time someone does it, you know you got one. Uh, with the other thing, you might be, you know, TV might be on at a bar and maybe 30 people are watching it. It's, it's tough to do the rating point real, real specific, but streaming numbers are coming in and there are hundreds of thousands. They're not millions. So when they're down, you know, eight, 12%, 15%, whatever it is per showing, and then the streaming numbers come back in and they are considerably less net net they're down for whatever reason. I know there's, there's been the debates and there's been other things, but numbers are down this year. So I think it's at the time where You've got these crazy officiating things that are affecting games. You've got the goofy explanations coming out of NFL ops that make no sense. Uh, and then you have numbers down. These are the perfect times where if you're, you're a good leader, if you actually are accountable, like he says, he says it's his obligation to, to face the press, but he doesn't. So, yeah, that's, that's my, my, my view of how to change this is we've got to hold this dude accountable somehow, some way. And the only way is to go down and storm the Super Bowl press conference, I guess. I don't know, maybe I'll run on stage and grab the mic from him or something. Hopefully not, but I'll have months from now. Till, yeah, just... His security will tackle you. Yeah, well, I'll take that fight. Anyway, I, I think uh, I'm looking forward to somehow, some way holding this guy accountable, but uh, we'll see. But I think that's probably it. I think it's new blood. In, my, my personal view is new blood in the competition committee. I think they just need to say, hey, you know, uh, the catch rule is still something that, that no one gets. Uh, there's 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 so many other issues that we've, we've grown this, this thing into an encyclopedia. Uh, and hey, let me look at you, John McKay from Atlanta Falcons, who's a, a senior member on the community on the competition committee. Hey, let me look at you, Jeff Fisher. Let me look at all the guys in the room and say, hey, here's what you built. Here's your book. It's not really working. Let's just get some new blood in here and some people that can simplify this and make it so 
it makes sense for the fans and players. Uh, anyway, moving on into actual football. So we, we spent most of the show there on that topic, but I did want to hit on a big weekend of games coming up. One thing I did want to want to touch on with you, because we've now done four shows, and we, we started to touch on what we thought was going to happen this first month. We just passed the, the, the so-called quarter poll. Is there any real major thing through four weeks that has surprised you, that you said, hey, you know what, this – this has been surprising to me, and this is the kind of thing uh, with a particular team that can carry through through the actual rest of the season. Yeah, it's the Los Angeles Rams. I was dogging them. I mean, really down on them after the first week, especially after they were right. dominated by the 49ers. And, and the reason why was because here they have Jared Goff, a guy coming from the spread system that many people think only works in college, and they're making him do what they call, you know, that transition between quotation to the pro-style offense. Right. And then they go out and they face, guess what, a college offense to the point where Blake Gabbert is doing a check with me with Chip Kelly. Who does that in the NFL? <laughs> right, right. Than, exactly. Know, Blake Gabbert. And they get beat 28 to nothing. I'm like, wait, I mean, isn't that, I mean, it's so ironic. You know, you don't think that Jared Goff can play because he ran a college between offense that doesn't translate. Then you just got destroyed by that very offense. You don't think translates. What? You know, I thought that was so illogical. And uh, and I still do. I, I don't, do not believe they have adapted enough offensively to make way and to amplify the very attributes that made Jared Goff appealing to be the number one overall pick. So I, I still not, you know, happy about that with it, but by golly, they're sitting at 3-1. and one. I mean, and they've had tough victories against the Seahawks, tough victories against the, Atlanta, or, uh, the uh, Arizona Cardinals. I mean, this is unbelievable to me. And, and obviously they went to Tampa and they had a big, you know, breakout kind of game. But And the biggest thing, you know, chat, uh, I should call you chat, uh, uh, Matt, is that they don't have much productivity with Todd Gurley yet. I mean, wait right. till that it's guy crazy, gets right? going. Their defense has been, you know, really good, except when they do play a college offense. So maybe the NFL should start to look into that one. And uh, but outside of that, I mean, the very catalyst of their team last year, when they got on, and you know, when they won and they got on winning streaks and all that kind of stuff with Todd he hasn't even started to get going yet. So you get him going if they can play that same defense. And I mean, the thing that could really get them over the top is adapt that offense, adapt it to what Jared does well. Which if you look at Dallas, you look at Philly, you look at uh, uh, where's another young quarterback out there? There's another one out there. I forget where. It just sort of slipped my mind. But anyway, he, he, well, up in New England, you saw it with Brissett and also with Grapple. You look how they adapted, not the last game, but the Bills. But they adapted their offensive schemes around their quarterbacks. If the Rams would do that same thing and let Goff get in, there's far more upside with Goff than there is with Case Keenum. But that's my surprise right now. And the fact that they haven't had a lot of success running the football even is more shocking. Well, I teed it to you of what was the most surprising, and uh, I, I said that, and I, I love the example you brought in because you, you have that L.A. sort of point of view out there, and that's not one that would have jumped to the front of me, and I think that is an important story, especially with the record sitting where it is and sitting in a division where the Cardinals sort of falling apart. Uh, so maybe the door's open there for a little bit to maybe slide in as a wild card team behind Seattle. Uh, I, for me, the reason I say that, I don't think there's one singular surprise. I've been surprised how many surprises there have been, if that, if that makes any sense. Uh, we always, so many, yeah. 
Yeah, we always expect a little fall off after uh, after the, the loser in the Super Bowl. It's really it's it's one of the most difficult things I think in sports. If you look at the four majors of being a Super Bowl loser to come back, and oftentimes I, I'm not, I don't know the percentages here in front of me or the history on this thing, but my, at least we'll say my perception is they a they don't get back to the Super Bowl unless we're talking about the Buffalo Bills of the '90s, uh, and b it, they struggle to even be a playoff bound type team. And I, I'm surprised how much Carolina has struggled. Uh, and not so much that I, I kind of thought maybe they'd take a step back offensively. I mean, as dominant as Cam was, it would have been really difficult to replicate that. He's been nicked a couple times. But defensively, they haven't played great. And you did a nice job on a, on a, on a breakdown video that we did here on the website on footballbyfootball.com about Julio Jones and surprisingly how how Carolina uh, played him so much poorly uh, in, in similar scheme executions that New Orleans was actually, actually able to execute. So that's one of my big surprises, but I'm just surprised that there are so many other surprises. The Eagles playing well with the rookie quarterback. Uh, the New, New England surprisingly, you know, pulling off three out of four with, with backup quarterbacks. The Falcons being for real, and I think this is this is probably the biggest game of the, of the weekend coming up. Denver at home against the Falcons. The, the Falcons were... Kind of one of those teams that you just couldn't trust a year ago. They had Matt Ryan, had a lot of red zone issues, uh, had some problems, uh, but have a lot of talent. Dan Quinn, I love him. He's my only my former coach with the Jets is a, a D-line coach, a guy that, you know, master class type stuff on pass rush, but then had had trouble getting pass rush out of his own guys. But the Falcons have the huge win, put a big number on Carolina. I guess this weekend we find out if that's more of a Carolina problem or or Atlanta themselves is for real, but uh, one of the biggest matchups there. And on the flip side of that coin, the other surprise, I think a lot of people were, were predicting sort of, uh, you know, fall of Rome kind of thing with, with, with the Broncos because they just wouldn't keep their quarterback. And the fact that they've kept things rolling shows you it was not just Peyton Manning, you know, they've built the system there and, and the system wins. And uh, I mean, all big credit there to John Elway for keeping things rolling, but that's transitions me into sort of the final on-field football point. And it is you know, one of the biggest stories in football, even, even, you know, even with my market bias here, working with the Patriots, Tom Brady returns. Uh, they go to Cleveland, Cleveland who's you know, sitting, I believe at 0 and four and, you know, they've had injury problems and, personnel issues and they've been getting screwed by the officials a couple times and it's just it looks a little bit of a mess down there uh what's sort of your take uh i'm always interested to hear someone who's not in this market of, of how that might go down or what kind of system you think they might use with tom you know just getting a few practices back back <laughs> practices back to get out and go do his normal thing well you know and i've said this all along you know the things that the patriots do defy football logic you know in theory they should have had a huge fall off with Tom Brady being out and, you know, going down to the third quarterback when Garoppolo gets hurt and they should be right now. In football logic, probably at best like two and two, maybe most likely one and three. Here they are, three and one. And so the same thing applies to this week with Tom Brady. Football logic will tell you, oh, the guy's been out a while at a uh, timing-based, heavy timing-based offense at a position that's very integral. There's going to have to be some kind of easing in with him. But, I mean, this is Tom Brady we're talking about. And, again, it's Bill Belichick. They're not going to do that. I don't anticipate that in any in any way, shape, or form. I believe they're going to go out there, and he's going to look like he's been practicing with the team for the last four weeks because he has that stronger relationship with these guys. His timing is so deeply ingrained with these guys. They have been working all offseason, and four weeks isn't going to change that. And so I, I believe they're going to go out, defy all logic. Tom Brady's going to play really well, and, and, and they're you know somewhat fortunate playing a, a team that's not the best especially defensively, 
with the Cleveland Browns. And so uh, I, I expect them to go out and they're going to dominate this game and to look like they are rolling, even though they're still going to have some improvement to be made as Tom Brady settles back in and gets back with his guys, gets his timing down, gets into playing shape and all those kinds of things. But they will defy football logic and he'll look like he's in the – he'll look like he never missed the these last four weeks. Yeah, I, I I think if I were placing a bet on that, I, I think that's the, the most likely scenario. The one thing that, that sort of gives me pause is, you know, I, I think a lot of people, and this wasn't a part of your answer, but I think locally here a lot of people are depending upon emotion, you know, to sort of fuel them to some sort of like, you know, just take it to the Browns and double bird Goodell throughout the game for all the touchdowns you get to score. Uh, and you know, and I don't know if emotion helps you or hurts you in that environment. I think the best example we have of that is actually the Patriots game against the Steelers, which was the Thursday night game to start 2015. Remember, you know, Goodell is chasing Tom around with the Wells report and it got kicked out of court at the time. At that time, the NFL was, was getting beat down on the, on the issues, uh, Berman, I think at the time, is the one who had, who had beat it back. So it looked like Tom was victorious at that moment. And Guy couldn't have been more motivated to go out and double bird the league. And uh, the Patriots offense looked pretty good, uh, you know, exploded early against a good Steelers team. But that game ended up 28-21. And, you know, you, you, I highly doubt there's more emotion now than then, uh, especially the difficulty of doing it on the road you, because you're not going to be able to you have the crowd around you to help drum it up. It's going to be a pretty wild environment in Cleveland, which you know isn't usually the case with a bad team that they've had recently. So I'm a little hesitant to expect some sort of record-breaking offensive night. I'm a little more towards, hey, you know, they'll be solid. Tom won't be bothered by the time off. I think he had a really nice training camp, which helped bridge a little bit of, you know, the time component. Say if he had not had a camp or any preseason, you know, stretching back nine months to when he last played could be an issue. But I think I think they'll be efficient. But the thing that I'm most interested in, and I think fans should keep an eye on, is all these toys that they've accumulated that they haven't yet used really in the first four weeks. I think Chris Hogan was a really smart pickup uh, that had a nice connection with Tom in, in the in the, the Carolina training camp or the preseason game. Looked really good together in practice. Uh, also, uh, you know, this Martellus Bennett situation, like this dude has been an animal, you know, you're an outside linebacker like myself, you know, how unusual it is to see guys just get turtled. Like I'm not talking about, you know, pushed off a block is one thing, not holding the edge. One thing, maybe hooked a little bit, but we've been watching Martellus put guys on their back, like consistently, like the kind of stuff that gets you clowned on in meetings. And that's, you know, that toy can now be a part of play action. So even with an, a non-full-strength Gronk, having those two dudes out there together, uh, wow, what the offense could be with Tom distributing. Um, Chris Hogan, like I said, mentioned him. Malcolm Mitchell is this this uh, high, high draft pick uh, from Georgia that has had a minor role when they haven't had a passing game. So all these toys, all these things that I think had Patriots fans fired up uh, about what they could now do in the AFC, maybe they could actually pass Denver, who has looked exceptional, right? And uh, I think we'll learn a lot more about, and maybe not this weekend necessarily, this might be a bumpy one uh, that they straighten out and just get an efficient win, but where this team is going to be a month from now, I think is, is pretty exciting. I mean, if you're in another market, maybe pretty scary. So we will see where it goes. Uh, yourself this weekend, Brady, if there was one game on that schedule that you had to pinpoint that you said, you know what? I think I learned a lot the last four weeks. Uh, I think I know what I know, 
But this game to me is going to be really telling. If I'm if I'm picking out one game on this weekend's schedule and your eyeballs are going there, where is it? You know, that's a great question because uh, there's a lot of different ones that stick out. I mean, the, the one that really – it's the Atlanta-Denver one. Because to me, you know, Atlanta, everybody's hot on them right now because of their offensive productivity and Matt Ryan and Hudu Jones and that kind of stuff. But I saw them against New Orleans Saints, and their defense is really weak. And so let's see what happens when they have to play defense, which they're going to because they're playing one of the best defenses on the NFL and the Broncos. So you have to you have to anticipate the offense isn't going to be able to carry the whole team. So there's other elements of that team that's going to have to step up if they're going to be able to compete at this elite level, which I don't believe the Falcons are there yet. Now they're the leading you know team in the NFC South and all that kind of stuff, but this is going to be the test. It's going to be either validating what I just said or it's going to go against it, and they're going to show that hey, they were a better defense than they showed in the first quarter of the season, and if you combine that with that explosive offense they legitimately become contenders. So that's going to be my kind of filter game this weekend. It's going to be the Falcons versus Denver Broncos. It's a good call, and uh, I will hit on two really, really briefly, 30 seconds apiece, but I, I like your old Cowboys. I'm really th- I think we're going to learn something this weekend because they're playing against the Bengals at home, and the Bengals kind of sit where they are. I think they're both probably borderline playoff teams, uh, but I think people, Tyler Eifert at this point, we, he's had a back problem to go with the old ankle it's it's sort of real questionable if he's going to be a part of it. I think it's actually been relatively uh, uh, admirable the way they've kept their offense afloat in the absence of one of their best players. Uh, so and then the loss of their left tackle and you know, the offensive line's been beat up a little bit. So uh, the Bengals and then the Cowboys who continue to churn away victories. Uh, they're not like overly impressive, like you know going on the road and beating Seattle or something like that. But you know winning in, in L.A., winning winning uh, you know some of these close games, right? So they're they're putting it together and Dak continues to improve. I think we learn a lot this weekend because those are two sort of borderline playoff teams that are looking for some separation. The other one that that I think is going to be super telling is, is this Minnesota Texans game. Minnesota has put it on both Carolina and the Giants. Two again borderline. Well, the, the Carolina I think we presume to be more of a top echelon NFC team. The yeah. Giants. Uh, Again, borderline, you know, are, are they going to be able to get over the hump and get themselves back in the playoffs? But all of a sudden, the Texans, who I, I give them grace. I, I don't I don't hold that Patriots loss against them. I don't. I think that's out of character, much like I think with the Patriots stinker they put up against the Bills last week. It's a four-day traveling game. Uh, they look nothing like themselves. They go home, they, they look much better. So I think we'll learn a lot about sort of the Texans and the Vikings both because they're both two really good defenses. J.J. Watt is gone, but the Texans continue to play a really good defense a week ago. So uh, that could be a little bit of a separation kind of game because that I think there's big implications there for your old team, the Packers. So if the, the, the what's been impressive about Minnesota is they've had some pretty tough teams on their schedule. So they've been plowing through some of the tough people. We'll get into the interesting stuff when the Packers and Vikings meet together once again. But that is my sort of lead into what I believe is going to be one of the a really exciting weekend of football. I'm happy for that. I hope we don't have all these reasons yeah. to, com- to complain like a week ago. But uh, what's going on with your weekend, Brady? What are you up to this weekend? Oh, just do a box of four days, 9 p.m. Pacific to uh, 10 a.m. Pacific, that's midnight to 1 a.m. East Coast time, all in Spanish, if you want to watch NFL football in Spanish. But an analyst analysis and uh, covering the greatest <clears throat> and the funnest topics. That's what we want to do. All right. Have a great weekend. 
awesome show. Good stuff. Talk to you right, next week. See you, man. And that's all we've got for this week's show. That was In the Game, the FBF podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Check us out on Twitter at FB by FB. And always visit that footballbyfootball.com for new videos, new content, new analysis from Brady Pinga, Brady Quinn, myself. Uh, the podcast will always be there. We'll be getting after it, sending stuff your way. Hope you enjoyed the show, people. Have a wonderful weekend. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.